Flintstones. Town of Bedrock Fair. His story. Are the Flintstones from the 60s? Really? They're that old? Here we go. Yabba dabba doo Wilma! I will look that up, but I think it's I think you're the right. 60s. Late 60s, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. I bet you're right. Well, welcome to Joel and Rob's podcast, where we are taking on a chapter from Brian McLaren's We Make the Road by Walking. Um, we are right now, this week, at chapter 28. We're a couple weeks ahead from what we're reading as a congregation, but we're getting caught up. Um, and this today, we are diving into chapter 28. Brian calls it A New Path to Aliveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this third section of his book, he is uh, diving into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Yes. Uh, which is three chapters of Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7. Can I tell you uh, uh, one of my favorite Sermon on the Mount stories? Please. So a few years ago, years ago, when I was a youth director, I, I would go to the National Youth Workers Conferences. Mm-hmm. Youth specialties put them on. Yeah. Uh, and so they had breakout sessions, but the big thing was the large group gatherings, 5,000 people there. Wow. So, yep. So one of the, the speaker for that session, this one day, was going to be Shane Claiborne. Oh. So you know Shane Claiborne well. Uh, he's written a couple books. Um, if you haven't... Uh, discovered him yet? Look him up. He's excellent. You've actually mentioned him in his sermon in your mm-hmm. sermons before. So Shane gets up, and so speakers at this conference are they're fantastic speakers, and they no notes, half hour, forty minutes, just these brilliant, yeah. brilliant uh, deliveries and brilliant messages. And Shane gets up and he says, "Well, I have been asked to give a sermon today, and so I thought I would read." The greatest sermon ever Ever written. Okay. Ever told. And so he brings out his Bible, turns to Matthew chapter 5, and starts reading. Mm. And at first, it's like, oh, okay. He's going to talk about the Beatitudes, the first section of Matthew 5. And then he's going to actually preach a sermon. Goes through 5. Halfway through 6, I go, oh my gosh, he's not stopping. This is his sermon goes all the way through, and you could see it. The first five minutes, there was this kind of little bit of uncomfortableness of, mm-hmm. what are you doing? You're just reading scripture. Yeah, come on. <laughs> come on, Shane. Let's get to the, let's actually have you tell us what you think. Yeah. And then you kind of felt this hush. And as people settled in and started to take in the words from this amazing sermon. Yeah. He got to the end and he said something like, may it be so, and sat down. And the next person got up who was going to announce the next music, whatever, and you could tell was kind of just flabbergasted and not sure of what to say. Um, But even leadership afterwards talked about how at first, the first three minutes were frustrated with him and then realized, oh my gosh, the courage to do what he did courage, but also that this sermon by Jesus, you never, ever get it down. Like, we're going to be 
challenged by this sermon for the rest of our lives. Right? Amen. It is, and Shane was right, you could say the greatest sermon of all time. So much he packs into these three yeah. chapters all at once. If if you can read and come away from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and not feel like the world's priorities and perspectives and um, assumptions aren't turned inside out and upside down. Yep. And to live into this countercultural way of life. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I have a lot of learning and growing to do. It is a punch you right in the face and you're thankful you got punched in the face kind of sermon, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just like, this is really upsetting and uncomfortable. And yet at the same time, it is strangely freeing and life-giving. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So let's dive into our scriptures. Um, Chapter 28 begins right where the previous chapter left off. It's important to note where we left off. We left off with the Beatitudes where Jesus says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. Um, And in the terms of blessed, not simply God favors them, but blessed in the terms of this is who God believes you should aspire to be. I mean, Mm -hmm. blessed as in this is, these are the people who understand life and life in all its fullness. Yes. Life as God intends. The poor who who know what it means to be interdependent with each other. The merciful who understand that grace is something you not only receive but give, right? The grievers and the mourners. The grievers who have learned. Those who can weep who, who, over life's absolutely. suffering and injustices. Yeah, well said. You know, these, Jesus says, are the people who have learned what kingdom life really is. Yes. Not the rich, not the powerful, not all the ones that we tend to grow up trying to aspire to be. So that's how the Sermon on the Mount begins, with a complete redefining of success. Yep. And then gets into this section on beginning at verse 17, where Jesus begins to interpret the Torah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Specifically, not really Genesis, because the law isn't in Genesis so much, but uh, Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy. Correct. He takes all these laws that are, you know, very sacred in Hebrew culture, and he says, okay, you have heard this. Mm-hmm. And then he says, yeah, I mean, that's true, but it doesn't go nearly far enough, and it doesn't go nearly deep enough. This, this is what I tell you. Well, and he begins with this very unusual language of, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. Yeah. And Brian dives into this in a little bit, which is great. And I, I really appreciated his, uh, how he describes it. But so he begins with that. Um, and then as, as you just said, he, he takes a law and just kind of raises the, um, Expectation of what is asked of it, or or you could say he gets at he gets underneath it and he gets at the heart of it. Yeah, right. Well said. Um, so as an example, he says, um, "You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment.' But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject 
to judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not enough simply not to murder. God doesn't want us spending our life lived in anger with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, hostility is not the way of the kingdom. And it's yep. not that it's not okay to be angry. It's just that if you are angry, we need to be mature enough to go and figure out why we're angry yep. and resolve it with the person or people yeah. whom we're angry with. It's not that anger is a sin. It's that life is too precious to be spent holding grudges. Yeah. <clears throat> and he, Jesus seems to take the, take that initial, that initial, oh, excuse me, law, and then go underneath it. So what, what's before anger? Well, it's, it's, there's violence. Mm. And then what's underneath the violence is um, anger. And what's underneath the anger is this inability or um, unwillingness to try and reconcile with the person mm-hmm. that you are in disagreement with. So he yeah. breaks it down and gets at what is at the root of it and says, yep. let's deal with the root instead of just don't murder. Yeah. Yeah. If you piss me off, the truth is it's a lot easier just to hit you than it is to wrestle with my own stuff that caused me to get so angry in the first place. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. This is the harder work. (laughs) So much harder. (laughs) He then gets into um, a few more of these. You shall not commit adultery. Uh, He gets into divorce oaths. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then finally ends with love for neighbor and says, you you have heard love your neighbor, hate your enemy, which I don't think that phrase specifically is affirmed in the in the Torah. I think but it's it, in Leviticus, actually. Is it? I, I do. I, I do looked for so. it and didn't see it, but hmm. um, but I could be wrong. It could be just that I was thinking that's also kind of a kind of an overarching tradition um, of uh well, keep in mind in the Torah they they did go in and and kill their enemies, and that was the way of yeah. Hebrew life. Yeah, right. I yep. mean, it was it was a conquest. Yes. If other people were occupying your lands, then you killed them and took the land back. Yes. Stories in the Torah absolutely affirm that. Yeah. Yes. Without it being explicitly said. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well said. Yep. Um, so. Anything else that speaks to you from the Matthew Scripture before we dive into Brian's Just how revolutionary it is when when we actually spend enough time with it to consider what Jesus is saying. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just that, you know, we shouldn't commit adultery. We shouldn't commit adultery. The real issue, though, is all of these issues, anger, adultery, um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it's, it's... it's dealing with the heart of relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Adultery isn't an issue, usually, if we spend the time we need to build trust and intimacy and communication in our relationships. Mm-hmm. The issue with uh, vengeance, hopefully, is not needed if we take the time to not only love our neighbors, but get to know and care for our what our well-being or care for the well-being of those who might even want to do us harm. Mm -hmm. We're actually getting a really powerful recognition of that right now with COVID-19, right? Yeah. I mean, nobody's going to pretend that America and China are suddenly best buds, Mm -hmm. but there is absolutely no denial that 
we are interdependent with each other. And the Chinese well-being is in America's best interest, and our well-being yeah. is in theirs. There, there is a, a real global awakening, I think. To how to, connected we are. To how connected and yeah. interdependent we are, to the point where we've got to stop pretending right now that other nations' well-being is not absolutely yeah. in our own well-being. Yeah. Because it is. Yeah. We we are that intimately interdependent with each other. For months, we kind of looked over there on the other side of the world and said, oh, look at that. That is... Yeah. That's decimating them. Yeah. But we're here now and you're there because we can't geographically gather. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah. So what in this chapter spoke to you? What jumped out at you? Uh, ooh, I'm in the wrong chapter. Um, well, let me start with something. Yeah. I liked how um, the very beginning Jesus says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. And Brian does a good job of talking about, as he says that, abolish the law and the prophets, those that were, as he describes them as traditionalists, those that were um, uh, purists, yeah, that really um, aligned themselves well with Torah would kind of, oh, phew. Thankfully, he's not going to just throw this out and throw it away. Um, and how that, but then when he said, yeah. "I've come to fulfill it," all the um, progressives were like. Oh, no. Exactly, exactly. So he advocates for this third way um, uh, and, and kind of says that you either one really doesn't work. You need both, what I like about that. He says you need the tradition. Mm-hmm. You can't throw that out. You also need to keep moving forward. Yeah. Um, and so you need to come in alignment with both of those. Does a good job of that. Diana Butler Bass, who's one of my favorite Christian authors, she has this phrase or word that she Names called retraditioning. No, you ever heard of it? No. It's it's um it, it, basically she says you know one of the things that the mainline church got away from uh, the '90s first part of the century were were some of the key practices and traditions that make Christians spiritually formed. Mm-hmm. Right, scripture yeah. reading, centering prayer. Uh, it, go on down the line, whatever whatever this thing may be. Examines, communal prayer, fasting, journaling. Just go on down the line. She says, you know, we we in the 21st century tend to look back and see some of these traditions as archaic, um, unnecessary. The, the, they're disciplines, and we don't even like the word discipline, really. Right. But she says, at their heart, really, is a tradition that is worth carrying on just in a new context and in a new time, perhaps in a new way. Mm. So she says, what well, one of the jobs of the 21st century Christian and the 21st century church is to begin re-traditioning these ancient practices that have served Christians for 2,000 years. And to begin saying, you know, it's okay not to pray like this. Yeah. It's okay not to approach scripture exactly like this. Yeah. It's okay not to fast the way they did 
1900 years ago and cover yourself in ash and sackcloth and do all these ancient things. But that doesn't mean don't throw out that the tradition isn't important. It's still important that we read scripture and pray and grieve together and fellowship together and do all the things that have made, you know, the spiritual Christian community what it is. But we do it in a new context in a new way. Hmm. The other thing I loved is uh, where McLaren basically summarizes Jesus there of saying the intent of tradition isn't simply to be, quote, in the right. The goal of tradition is to be in right relationship. Yeah. So our practices, our traditions, they it isn't to make us yeah. better individuals. That That's not the goal. It's not to make us holier or more pure. It is to bring us closer to God Mm. and closer to other people. Mm. That is what lies at the heart of our tradition. Mm -hmm. Mm. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And how often we can get away from that. And that we can engage in that even when we're not physically gathering. Yeah. Right? Yep. We can engage in the—it'll be very important right now during COVID-19 to, quote, re-tradition— in ways that still enable us to grow closer to God and closer to each other. Yeah. One of the reasons we're live streaming this, you know, that we're kind of retraditioning here. Yep. In a way. Yep. Well, Not just a podcast, but now video so that we can see you and you can see us and you know. Yeah. As as we've said, this is an opportunity for us to how do we practice faith outside of Sunday morning? And so one of them's going to be a spiritual practice mm-hmm. that we're going to do together coming up on Facebook Live. Um, <clears throat> yep. What I, I think he, he just says it so much better than I ever could, um, describing this deeper desires that Brian's talking about. Um, he says, uh, um, not murdering, not committing adultery, not committing illegal divorce, not breaking sacred oaths, not getting revenge for Jesus. True aliveness focuses on transforming our deeper desires. Mm. And that phrase is much, much better articulated than I ever could. Um, but that's what, that's what the Sermon on the Mount gets into so well, is how our inner desires then transform our outer actions. Yeah. Right? Well said. <clears throat> I think that's a way... That is that's a, that's an invitation to read the Sermon on the Mount. Is it's going to force you to look within, but that that look within is going to going to transform your actions uh, that you give out. Well said. Anything else from this chapter? That's yeah, pretty good. Um, there's a lot here. Yeah. There is. A I mean, lot we could here. we could keep digging. But the truth is, I mean, we're, we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount through chapter 29 and then again in 30, right? Yeah. It's good stuff, but it's challenging stuff. It's uncomfortable stuff. It's incredibly challenging, and that's... Love your enemy. Yeah. Yep. Love your enemy. Yep. That, that's brutal. So let us end with Brian's words. Um, describing this third way. He said, God is out ahead of us, calling us forward. Not to say where tradition has brought us so far 
and not to defy tradition reactively, but to fulfill the highest and the best intent of tradition. Hmm. To make the road by walking forward together. 